Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. I'll invite you to get your Bibles out to the Matthew's account of the resurrection. Matthew 28. It is good to see, like I said, all of you. It's nice to get into the place and start, for those of you who have been back, it's nice to start getting a little more uh, used to the space, a little more comfortable. Uh, my hope this morning, it's, it's tough because I'm up here on this day. It's like, I don't know, it's very odd from my perspective to not not try to get uh, too caught up in the moment, but my hope this morning is not to bring some new, amazing doctrinal perspective to the resurrection. In fact, if that's ever a pastor's hope, uh, run from that church, because what we want to do is just lift up the timeless truth, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with all of its implications for our lives. So this is Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, we'll read the text and then just we'll we'll think on it together for a little bit this morning. This is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone And sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Grass withers, flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Big idea this morning, just gonna, in case you fall asleep like Tony's computer through the rest of the service. Big idea this morning is simply this. Jesus can be trusted to keep his word. Jesus can be trusted to keep his word. If you don't hear anything else of what I say, Jesus can be trusted to keep his word. For our time this morning, this specific phrase spoken by the angel there at Christ's resurrection, they show up at the tomb post-resurrection, Resurrection Sunday, and the angels tell them that Jesus is not there, right? He has risen, And then they go on. They say, he's not here, he has risen, just as he said. 
just as he said. It struck me last week, Jim is making a passing comment in worship about the resurrection and, and just the, the, declared, the declarative nature of Jesus. He said, I'm, I'm going to rise from the dead. But the power that there is in this reality, that this man, Jesus incarnate in flesh, says, here's what's going to happen, and then it happens. He said, I'm going to rise from the grave, and then it does happen. It's as if it isn't striking enough that Jesus rose from the grave. Like, right? I mean, we can all get behind the incredible thought that Jesus dies Good Friday, goes into the tomb. That's one day. Saturday is in the tomb all day. That's two days. Sunday, as the evening begins, that's the third day. We had this question at my home. So when kids say, how is Jesus in the tomb three days? This is totally for free on the side. How is Jesus in the tomb for three days? You count any part of a day as a day. It's like I say to, if, if kids get out of school early on Thursday, and we say we're going to go take off for vacation Saturday at noon, that feels like a week away, and they're definitely counting that's three days away, when really it's like less than 48 hours. But it feels like three days. I got all of Thursday, all of Friday, and all of Saturday morning. So three days, sorry, that was just an aside. Three days, Jesus is in the tomb. And incredible enough, he raises, God raises him from the dead. What lies dormant for hours in this tomb, what is certainly dead by professional executioners, they don't break his legs because it's clear that he's dead. They take his body down, wrap it in these spices, carry it and lay it in a new tomb, and he lays there and then is bought, brought back from the dead to life. That's incredible. On top of that, he called it. He called it. He called it. He's like, you know, we're uh, shooting baskets at our house and we're trying to perfect the Steph Curry walk away where you throw it up and then you turn around and walk away and, and hope it goes in, right? You've all seen the clip of, of Steph Curry doing that because it's not enough that he shot the basket from half court. It's that he walks away, he knows it's going to happen and he knows it's going to go in. This, that's, it, this is what Jesus has done. It is not just that he was raised from the dead. He called it. He knew it. He knew beforehand this is what's going to happen. Jesus can be trusted to keep his word. How good are the words that people speak today? Think of all the promises that we make today. Think of all the statements of what we will do, what we won't do. Think of all the promises, how many of them are even meant to be kept I'm not going to go on a political rant, but I mean, you could talk about how many politicians today fill their whole campaign with promises that, that they really have no intention. They know they can't even perform this promise if they wanted to, but our world has built this capital of promises that never are intended to be kept. The institution of marriage in our culture today is such is so lightly taken that these vows made before God are just easily, by no fault of either party, thrown away. Promises become so light, so empty. How many promises are even met to be kept? How many friends, after years of friendship, will just turn and walk and betray a years-long friendship there's, there's, we have so many things we can look at that are disappointments, people not keeping their word. 
You all know it. I mean, I don't, I could, we could go around the room and take all day and talk about the ways that people in your life have at times let you down and probably make a longer list of all the ways, well, it might be shorter because we're all too proud, but of all the ways you've let people down where you've made promises and you didn't keep them. This is not Jesus, okay? This is not Jesus, right? Thank you. Right, this is not Jesus. He makes his promises and he keeps them. He tells you what he is going to do and then he does it. Have you been let down by this world? Jesus will not let you down. Jesus will never let you down. Have you been disappointed by this world, by the people of this world? Jesus will never disappoint you. The Bible says that at that final great day, no one will be put to shame. No one will be disappointed at that great final day. Jesus will leave none disappointed on the great final day of his visitation. He makes his promises and he keeps them. Jesus can be trusted to keep his word. Have I got a main point across to us yet? Jesus can be trusted to keep his words. So there are three realities of what Jesus said that would happen that I want us to consider this morning. And Jim prayed them before he began. They are Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. A familiar frame. Again, I'm not trying to create a new doctrine for you this morning. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ is coming again. Christ has died just as he said he would. Now I know it's Easter Sunday which we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Good Friday was a few days ago where Jesus is crucified. He is killed, on a, executed on a Roman cross. But I want to emphasize, though we're emphasizing, he is risen. He is risen indeed. The truth is you cannot sever resurrection Sunday from the crucifixion on Friday. They don't, they don't separate. It's, it's a part of a package deal of what God is doing. You cannot separate the two. They're part of an interwoven narrative of the redemptive history of what God is doing in the world. And the crucifixion, suffering of Jesus on the cross can't be separated from his resurrection on Sunday. They're all a part of this story together. So Christ has died, but it happens just as he said he would, Right? Jesus is not surprised by his death on Good Friday. In fact, if we're in Matthew, you can look. There's three places that Matthew records for us. Luke does the same thing where Jesus just flat out tells his disciples, this is what's going to happen. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He's saying to them, <laughs> he's going to go to Jerusalem, suffer and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Jesus is by no means surprised that he's going to die. You can look also at Matthew 17, 22, and 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And for the third account is Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. Jesus speaking as they're on the way up to Jerusalem. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. 
Jesus is not surprised by his crucifixion. Jesus knows what's going to happen, and yet he perseveres. You know, I think you could pull a lot of people in our community, and this is not to throw shade at our community, but most people have an understanding of even the religious narrative of Easter. We, you know, we like, to, we like to beat up on the Easter bunny and all that stuff, but I think there's a lot. I mean, honestly, if you went around, I think you'd find a high percentage of our community that would have some concept that Easter is about this idea of Jesus dying and then coming to life again. There's, there is an, a, a general understanding of the, the religious narrative behind Easter, behind Resurrection Sunday. But there's something I think that's often missed. We forget the reason that it all came about. It, it makes for a neat story. We all like a, a good hero story. Someone tr- going through terrible suffering, terrible trials, and then overcoming it. Is Jesus just an early version of the American's dream? Of someone who's gone through a lot of suffering, people really beat him up, people were really mean to him, people really disliked him, killed him even, and yet he overcame. He overcame his trials. What a, what a great story to get behind. I mean, and I, if some of that narrative is all the deeper that some go with it. We forget the reason that it all came about. We enjoy the pageantry and the promise of something incredible like an Easter Sunday but it's hard to swallow the problem that created it all. (laughs) Then we take it up to a different level. (laughs) It's nice to have the pageantry, to put on the nice clothes, and to get out and, you know, the fancy pastel colors, and to have all the pageantry and show up on a a service and do do all the religious activity, but it's harder to swallow the problem that created the need for it in the first place. What made Good Friday, Easter Sunday necessary? I did. You did. We did. As Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. You probably all, if you've been in church, you've got that one memorized. The wages of sin is death. And that because of the sin of Adam and the following sins of all mankind, death is required. God tells Adam in the garden, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Disobedience, sin, disobedience from God, disobeying God produces sin and it produces death. That is what is required. That is what sin pays out. Because of Adam's sin, because of your sin, because of my sin, death is what we are due. It is the paycheck that is on its way. You have put in the work, (laughs) Congratulations, here's the salary, and it's death. It is what we are owed. Not sin in some nebulous, abstract construction of sin, but actual sin, the condition of your heart, one at, in, in its natural state, at war with God, is deserving of his wrath and of the penalty of death. And what we see at the cross is Jesus taking that death you deserve, taking that death that I deserve upon himself. So that in turning from sin and looking to him, we could be forgiven. Not not Good Friday and Easter and some pageantry, some sort of, isn't it pretty? No, it was necessary. It's far more dark and far more glorious than just pastels and a nice pretty service. Far more serious 
and far more glorious. There's a deep unity with Christ that is meant to be felt there at Good Friday. I know we're hanging out on Good Friday, right? We're going we're to get to Easter Sunday, but it's so important. We find it easy to say, Christ died for me. And yes and amen. If you are one of his children, Christ has died, took your sins upon himself on the cross. He died for you. But not only did he die for you, you died with him. Not only did he die for you, you died with him. The biblical language puts it this way. It says, we have died with Christ. Our sinful self, our desire to serve our own sinful impulses, our desires to serve ourselves first and foremost, when you look at the cross at Good Friday, what you're looking at is the death of your sinful self. The death of you die with Christ. Not only does he die for you taking your punishment, but in a very real way, it is at the cross in your unity with him, your sinful desires, your sinful proclivities, your desires for self and self-satisfaction and self-purpose and self-understanding and serve me and serve me and serve me, that dies on the cross with Jesus. Our desire to get our way, no matter who it costs or what it costs, Union with Christ means that that self, that sinful self, is put to death on the cross. Our desire for our own vindication, for our own glory, it dies with Jesus. This is way harder to swallow than just the idea that Jesus died for your sins. We think, oh, I'll take some of that. Jesus died for my sins. Yes, but listen. When he dies, that in your union with him, that is your self-serving, self-loving, self-worshipping, idolatrous heart dies with him. It dies with him. Your joy over Easter will be severely diminished if you only see Jesus, that he died for you, but you do not humble yourself, lay your life and your interests and desires down, and see that you died with him the things of this world. And the reason why I'm emphasizing you die with him is because it is in the dying with him that we then rejoice that we get raised with him. You you, You gladly die with him to your selfish desires, to your own sinful proclivities, to your wants and wishes and your muddled thinking. You gladly die with him because of the promise that those who die with him are raised with him. Jesus said he would die, he kept his word. Jesus says he will rise, and he, kept, he keeps his word. It has happened just as he said it would. So Christ has died, Christ has risen. What incredible joy it must have brought in Jesus' heart. And I'm, I'm, I'm letting him dwell on his humanity a little bit here. But what it would have brought in his heart to wake up on Sunday morning. Now, I don't think he was ever confused that it was going to happen. He was like, wow, this is great. I, he knew. He knew this is what's going to happen. But still, when that plan comes to fruition, when it gets, it gets played out in real space, time, and history, the battle actually is won over death. The joy that is there boiling out of the fruit of, of his work, what joy happens there. And here's the astonishing part not only do we as the christian church throughout the ages gather to celebrate that joy jesus won 
we gather to celebrate that Jesus calls us into that joy itself. Like, we're not just on the stands enjoying this guy celebrating his victory. He's up on the celebration. He is up getting the awards, getting the, 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 all the, the acclaim. He has beat death, and he says, come here with me. This is yours as well. And so the joy that the, the church has, the joy that Jesus' people have on Easter, is not just one of celebrating that Jesus won. It is that. It's that Jesus' winning is my winning. Right? This is, this is incredible. Not only is this death, I, I, I go with him to the cross and, and, and see myself die, but man, his resurrection is my resurrection. I'm with him. He calls me into this joy. I'm blown away by it. Like, I honestly, somehow, like, it makes sense to me that Jesus would celebrate Easter Sunday. He beat death. And then he says, come with me. I want you in on this. I want you in on my new life. I want you in on the promise of eternal hope and eternal future. Jesus knew it. Romans chapter 6. Um, I, this might have been a call to worship. I was listening in the back. Uh, but, but right here, Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. If we have been united, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that no one would be long, longer enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ. Now, this is why I was emphasizing. It's not that it's just that Christ died for you. Now, if you have died with Christ, if you have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Jesus knew and spoke of the reality of his resurrection. He knew, and just as he said, it came to pass. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. In one of his final moments before the religious leaders, Jesus makes this incredible statement where we've been in Matthew 28, so you can, you can look at it there in Matthew 26 as well, just one of the many places you can go to, to see this reality. And it's a whole eschatological vision of, of what the, the future vision of a coming king that's just laced throughout all of the narrative of Scripture. But Jesus says to the religious leaders in 2664, Jesus said to him, when he asked, are you the son of God? He says to Caiaphas, the high priest here, you have said so that he is the son of God. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He tells them that from now on, after this death, burial, resurrection, the way they will see Jesus is, Jesus is him seated in a place of supreme authority and coming with cosmic forces. Riding on the clouds, that's a pretty killer move like that's that's pretty baller to be like I'm gonna you're gonna see me up in power coming on the clouds what we were talking about uh, we were going through the Luke passages of of the crucifixion on Wednesday night and the disciples expectation Andrew was bringing it up a lot you know of they, they were looking at the king's coming we're ready to inaugurate the kingdom and and you look at that and they weren't wrong right 
they, they, know their, they know their prophecy. They know the coming king of David is going to come and establish his kingdom on earth. And they're looking for, they think, here it is. Here it is. They got, all they got wrong was the timing. All they got wrong was the timing of it. Because Jesus died, has risen, and he has said, I'm coming again. And I will set up my kingdom. Jesus was securing that reality with his life, death, and resurrection. And the consummation, the completeness of that reality is on its way. How can we be sure? How can we be sure? Because he said. Because he said. The man who said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me and crucify me. And I'm going to be raised from the dead three days later. And then walks that out, gets the right to be trusted when he says, I'm coming again. My kingdom will be established. The resurrection has all sorts of implications for us. It's God's stamp of approval on Jesus' work. It's his vindication. It's the evidence that the sacrifice was accepted. But you know what else it is? It is proof that Jesus can be trusted to keep his word. Jesus can be trusted to keep his word. And that's really good news. Because Christ has promised those who are his, he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will walk with us. He has promised that no evil will overtake us. He has promised goodness and mercy will follow us and that one day we will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives. What problems do you have to bring to Jesus this morning? He's big enough for them. He's big enough for them. You probably aren't. (laughs) He's big enough for them. What disappointments are facing you today? Jesus is big enough to satisfy them. He is big enough to satisfy you with himself, no matter the situation in front of you. Jesus has promised those who die with him will be raised with him. He will be with them and bring them to ultimate joy on the great final day. He has said it, just as he said, we can trust him. So this morning, as we head into a time of communion here together, it's a meal of remembrance, right? We're remembering what Christ has done for us. And one aspect of that remembering is what he has promised to do. We remember that Christ's body has been broken, his blood has been shed, and that Christ has promised one day we will eat of this meal with him in the new heavens and earth. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, just as he said. Let's pray. Oh, Father, may that uh, only by by your spirit, may this truth just take anchor in our hearts. You can be trusted to keep your word. Father, the pull of this world, the pull of this life, the pull of our own thinking draws us in so many directions. The world calls out to us in so many and offers to us so many different lesser gods than you. So many lesser purposes to live for. But God, all of them, none of them, none of them can deliver ultimately. They are not the author and the finisher. They are not the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You are and you can be trusted to keep your word. Help us to see this glorious promise and rejoice in who you are for us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.